Okay, so last week um, we started off with this question. Is the intermediate heaven part of this universe? Um, We looked at several passages of text last week. um, And I want to start today with some guardrails related to some of the conclusions that we were leading into last week. And also, um, some of the lines were were blurred a bit between questions, so we're going to be kind of putting one down, and then some of the questions that kind of started coming as we were pressing into that text, we're going to address one of those um, directly tonight. We're going to be revisiting a couple of the places that we looked at last week um, to answer this question, but um, guardrails to put in place regarding the question that we were addressing last week, so uh, just one more time to restate that question. Is the intermediate heaven part of this universe? Um, I'm going to kind of read what I've got here because I've tried to write it as concisely as possible. Um, So to restate the question again, is the intermediate heaven part of this universe? Well, it depends on what we mean by the word universe. I'm going to look at it in two different ways here. If we simply mean that heaven is a part of creation itself, then the answer is a simple yes. Okay? I want to state that again because I don't know that we think about that oftentimes. Um, If we simply mean, when we say is heaven a part of this universe, if we mean instead to say is heaven a part of creation, then the answer is yes. And that's actually a pretty simple statement. That's not, there's no controversy uh, at all around that. Um, Scripture opens up with the statement in the beginning... Heaven and in the midst of heaven, God. Is that what it is that how it starts? No, how does it how does scripture itself begin? In the beginning, God. And then from God, all that is that is not God is a created thing. God is the only eternal past and future being. There are no angels that are eternal. There are no demons that are eternal. Satan himself is not eternal. God is eternal. He existed before creation. If creation passed away, he would not fail to exist. So in that sense, if we're asking the question, is heaven a part of this universe? Uh, In that regard, it's simple. Yes. Now, if we mean it is it a part of the universe that one day... Like, if, if what we mean when we ask that question, if, if like, there's an underlying element to it that's, that's kind of pointing in this direction, if we're asking ourselves, is heaven a part of the universe because we're going to step into this next place where we ask, is there a day that we could hope to discover it, uh, then we should be a bit more cautious in the way that we think about that. Again, If we expect via natural exploration and scientific advancement to discover heaven or to measure it and test it through repeatable experimentation, then we may want to be a little bit more cautious there because anything that we would say in that regard uh, would be inching us into the realm of speculation. Um, I have a caveat here, though, and this... The caveat is this. I do, however, believe that this is a temporary reality. So this idea that we couldn't explore and discover heaven uh, through natural means, I think that this is um, a reality that will one day 
pass away. Okay, So I believe that it's temporary reality and we must think differently about the intermediate heaven in this regard. So uh, heaven as we will experience it after the resurrection will be a place of great discovery and exploration. Okay, so when we think about discovering heaven and, 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 and exploring it fully, there are limitations that we find when we find ourselves on this side of Christ's return that will not be there after the resurrection when heaven and earth will be joined together. Now, this is going to be something that we're going to spend a good deal of time in the future with future questions um, coming to conclusions about. Um, so that's the guardrails, right? If we're asking the question, is, is the intermediate heaven a part of this universe? And we mean, is it created? Yes. If we mean, is it something that we're going to devise an instrument at some point in the future, some advanced technology that will then discover this place where Jesus sits, um, then um, when, I, when I get done preaching and we want to just sit around and like imagine, that's fine. But from this this vantage point of what I can tell you for certain, that would be uh, inching into um, speculative areas. Now, question that came out of last week and some of the texts that we were looking at last week um, is this question. Is the intermediate heaven a physical place? So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Um, I don't hold out much hope that we'll finish tonight. Uh, there's several passages of text. If we do, um, it will be a, it will be a miracle, I think. Uh, but I want to kind of lay out the ground rules for this a- answering this question, um, so that you can kind of see the way that I'm approaching answering it. So again, uh, so that we're all on the same page, is the intermediate heaven? Is this intermediate state, this place that if you were to die now, you would find yourself if you're a believer? Is this place a physical place? And I would add to that. Are there physical elements about this place? Um, So we'll begin exploring this question. Uh, We're going to explore scriptural accounts that fall into two categories. So I want you to listen and listen as well, not only to what the categories are. So we're going to be looking at scripture. We're going to group the scripture into two different categories. And there's a reason that I'm selecting these categories. It's to help us to come to an answer that when we answer it, we can feel like we can stand firm in that answer. Uh, So category one, the first thing that we're going to look at is scriptural accounts where a living human being encounters heaven. Okay, so excluded from this is like accounts that you might have of someone dying and you're like, I saw it somewhere. Also, that's not in in scripture. Okay, Um, not saying that you couldn't experience anything, but... Um, what I'm saying here specifically, we're looking at and limiting the scope of what we're answering this question with, the only things that we can find within Scripture, and only things that we find in Scripture regarding a living human being at the point of that experience. Right? That's, I know that's a, that's a lot. You'll see what I mean when we get into it uh, here in a little bit. The second category, so the first category, if I were going to simplify it, Living humans seeing something in regards to the heavenly. Second category, heavenly beings interacting with 
our world. So the two categories that we're going to be looking at and, and evaluating Scripture within, human beings ex- encountering heaven while they are alive, not an after-death experience or anything like that, but literally they are alive, and this uh, in- encounter is uh, within Scripture for us. And then another is scriptural accounts where we see some being that is not a human necessarily, that is heavenly in its description that interacts with the world that we find ourselves living in. So um, we would call these angels oftentimes or demons. Um, The first account there that we're going to look at is actually God himself in the opening chapter of Genesis. Um, So with those two categories in mind, I want us to think about why I've selected and been specific in the selection that I that I've selected here. So um, this will exclude accounts that are clearly stated as visions, right? Clearly stated as visions. So none of those accounts are included here. If you're interested in what accounts in where a living human being might have a vision of heaven, well, I can get you some some scripture regarding that afterwards. But that's not where we're going to focus. That's going to be excluded here. Um, because these could leave room for doubt concerning the physical nature of the experience. For example, if I have a vision of heaven while I'm in a dream, then what can that say to me regarding the physical nature of heaven? Because one, that experience was something in my mind. It was something in my dr- in a dream. It was not something that I necessarily experienced with my physical body, right? So we're excluding those type of experiences. Um, We're also excluding accounts um, that are not found within a historical narrative, okay? So what do I mean by this? We're not looking at prophetic literature. We're not looking at apocalyptic literature. Here we are focusing specifically on accounts that intend to display to us historical realities, right? So examples of this, the Gospels, the book of Acts, most of the epistles, right? Um, what would this exclude? Books like the book of Revelation. Um, we would exclude in this a book like Daniel. So why, why are we doing this? Why, why am I selecting to, do, to exclude these texts like this? Um, I think the primary reason that I, that I selected to exclude these types of material from this discussion is this will ensure that we have a clear that the clear intention of the text is to be understood as a real historical account so by performing this type of exclusion up front as to what we're going to focus on what we can say about these accounts when it comes to a person is that they were alive this was real and they experienced it with their senses in some regard or If we're speaking to the spiritual, we're finding an account within history itself where heaven in some regards has made itself known to us in a way that's real and physical, right? Um, And by doing this, it will will help us to, to answer this or to make an attempt at answering this question regarding the nature of uh, this intermediate heaven. Now, um, pointing out into the future, again, this is we're speaking specifically of heaven before the resurrection because um, there is, and we'll cover this at some point in the future, um, there is more than sufficient evidence to point to a physical heaven after the resurrection that is more real to be experienced than any day that we have ever lived in our lives. Life there will be more real 
in that sense than life here. But what in regards to this intermediate heaven can we say about its nature? All right, so starting in Acts chapter 7, verse 55. And I'm going to take a breath for a second because I've been going on for a hot minute. So I want to give you all a second to get there. Acts chapter 7, we're going to look at verse 55 and 56 here. This is one that we looked at last week when we were considering the question about whether heaven is, this intermediate heaven is a part of the universe that we find ourselves in. Uh, When we touch it, when we touched it last week, um, again, it is hard to avoid these physical realities that come out in this. So again, Acts, this is a historical narrative for us to explore here. These are events that that occur. These are events where a person, Stephen in this account, and Jesus in this account, uh, were alive. Uh, specifically, I want us to pay close attention to Jesus here because this is after the ascension. This is after the resurrection. This is the body. This is the resurrected body. This is that Jesus that we find here uh, described in this text. So, uh, verse 55 of Acts chapter 7. But he, that being Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now listen as we look at this. A couple of places that I want to point your eyes. One, the first part of this text, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So this is accounting Jesus who is alive. Yes, do we agree? Jesus is alive. He is the only one who has died, who has been raised, who is still alive. Everyone that Jesus called from death back into life found themselves dead yet again. Jesus is a whole other kind of living. This is the type of living that we hope to live when He returns and calls us home. So Jesus, alive, standing, physically standing at the right hand of God. Stephen, alive, full of the Holy Spirit, yes, empowered to see into heaven in a miraculous way, yes, but with his own eyes, while he was alive, experiencing heaven. And we talked about this a little bit last week, what that would need involved for you to see with your eyes a man. You see me now here, why? Because I am close to you. Right Now, if I were far off, perhaps if you were given a telescope or some type of optical device that could bring me close, you could see me even at a distance. But for you to see me, no matter whether you're using a telescope or, a, or some binoculars or, or just glasses to help you see more clearly, there is light that interacts with my body that interacts later on with your eyes so that you can see me. So whatever this reality is, where Jesus finds himself in heaven at the right hand of God is such. It at bare minimum accommodates one physical body. Bare minimum. Right? Bare minimum. Because Jesus is there. He is alive. He can be seen from there, given sight. Right? Which means... Light bounced off of the Savior's body and entered into Stephen's eyes. This was not 
a mere vision that occurred in his mind. This was a reality that happened to him in this moment where life was about to be taken from him. In this moment, he experiences Jesus as though he were as close to you as I am to you, standing in heaven, welcoming him home. Crazy what it must have been like moments later when Stephen's life is taken from him, or should I say when his body dies and his spirit finds himself with his Savior in hopes of a resurrection day where he would be united with his risen body. So, does this give us any indication of the nature of of this intermediate heaven. I believe that it does. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to go ahead and be turning with me there. This is a very interesting text here. Um, a very interesting text. When you get there and look at it, you'll, you'll know. So we find Paul here giving his boasting about his service and, and in this run he takes like what might be the most epic humble brag that has ever happened in all of scripture he's like I know a God that went to heaven right and and we know that when that the guy that he knows that went to heaven here is him this is Paul recounting while alive going to heaven and what does he say Say about that experience and what can we what can we consider from this to help us to understand the nature of this intermediate state uh, that one day if he does not return before then we'll find ourselves there second corinthians chapter 12 let's look at verse 2 i know a man in christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven whether in the body or out of the body i do not know God knows, verse 3, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Now I want to draw your eyes to a couple of different places here. So him recounting this event, this was something that occurred in the course of his life. In this, in this recounting of it, he speaks of being caught up. Okay, caught up. Um, and now, how are we to interpret what it means for him to be caught up here? And this is where this is one of those where I kind of break my rule a little bit in regards to um, not mentioning anything that that uh, is clearly a vision. And I'm doing I'm doing I'm breaking my rule a little bit here for a very important purpose. Okay, so this account could have been Paul experiencing a vision or Paul experiencing some out-of-body experience, right? And from his own testimony, so look at this. What is it? We should ask ourselves, what does it mean when he says that he was caught up to the third heaven, right? That he was caught up. So in the, in the example with Stephen, Stephen was in his body, in the world. Persecution was coming his way. He gazed up and he speaks of the heavens being opened, right? This is giving us a different account here where he is caught up into or caught up to the third heaven and then when he considers this experience 
What does he say about this experience? (laughs) Sorry about that. What does he say about this experience? He says, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Okay. Now, when, when, if, if I told you that I had an experience and I was like, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Um, what question would be the most obvious one to ask? How do you not know if you're in your body or not? Right? Rarely do you see an account of someone having a near-death experience where they were like, and I didn't know if I was in my body or not. Like half the time it's like I was floating on top of the room or this, that, or the other. Like Paul has an experience in heaven that he doesn't know if he's in his body or not. What must that experience be like? It was not, as some religions might say, joining into some like ethereal existence where you become part of everything else. Because that would be obvious. I'm not me anymore. That was not the experience that Paul had. He says it twice here, right? He says it twice. His experience in heaven, here's what I conclude for this, was such that it could have been confused with a physical experience. Because if it was something that happened that was in no way had any type of analogy to the experiences that you and I have, it would be immediately obvious to him that he was out of his body. Right? Like the first thing that I would do if I thought I had an out-of-body experience is look for my hands. Right? Like, is it a dream? I'm going to look for my hands. Look for my feet. How many of you have ever had a dream and and your feet were not there? And then you wake up immediately because you're like, this is not real, right? So his experience, the thing that he experienced in this encounter was such that it left room for him to question whether or not he was out of his body or not. So what I, the conclusion that I come to there is that the experience that we will have in heaven is such that Paul, having been taken there, would find himself confused about whether or not his body was left behind or not. That's an interesting thing for us to consider. That he was caught up into heaven, caught up into paradise. This is the same account, right? This is him saying it. Paul does this time and time again. Like, And, and I'm, I, you, could, you could say I do a very similar thing. I'll say it again and again and again. This is a pattern of speech that Paul uses oftentimes where he'll say something and then he'll change the wording up just a little bit because maybe if I say the same thing and just say it a little bit, it'll hit, right? So this is him. So when he speaks of third heaven, when he speaks of paradise here, it's the same encounter, not separate encounters. It's the same encounter. And in this encounter, he couldn't tell you if he was in the body or not, which is very interesting to me. When I see that, I think... He must have experienced something there that left that confusion in his mind. I imagine seeing 
Jesus in the flesh would probably cause such confusion about how am I here in spirit and not in body, but I can see you with what? Am I seeing you? With my mind's eye? Like, what is that? What is that experience, right? So, again, yeah. The, yeah, so, yes. This is another this is another account we find now I don't want to diverge too much. Write that one down. We can add that one and come back later because there's some interesting things that we could ask ourselves in regard to the two individuals that were there at the transfiguration with Jesus. Like there are some interesting questions about heaven there. We're going to cover one of those individuals um, here in this in one of these accounts that we're going to hit with next that that finds himself as a human being taken up in a similar fashion to, to Jesus, except this this account that we're going to cover is not a person who finds themselves in possession of a resurrection body at the time that they find themselves taken into heaven. So um, write that down. Give it to me afterwards. We'll, we'll see if we can't cover that um, in more detail than probably what we have time for for tonight um, but that's a good that's a good point and, and also where do we find that we find that in a place within scripture that is historical in its intention right it's trying to tell us things that occurred which which makes that another interesting uh, interesting point to cover there so here the conclusion here is from this particular text in second corinthians that we should draw is whatever that experience he had of heaven was it did not remove all question about the state that we would that he would find himself in right so that experience was one that had things that were familiar to him in a be as as a being who experiences reality through his senses right uh, interesting, interesting um, account that he gives. That he gives there. So uh, let's go now to Second Kings chapter two. Um, we touched on this one last week as well, and this is Elijah here. Um, and so Second Kings chapter two. I'm going to be looking at verse eleven and twelve. Um, so this is that account that I was alluding to previously, where we find someone who is alive in a physical body, like you and I have who the account parallels the account of Christ's ascension in such a striking way that when I read it, I think it can't be by accident that it was, that it was described like that. The intention is for us to consider in this text that Elijah found himself physically taken into heaven, right? So Second uh, Kings chapter 2, verse 11 here. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. So this could also be used as one of those accounts where um, where uh, heavenly beings find their way into our reality. But we're going to use it uh, in this particular instance to show uh, an account of someone physically alive who experiences heaven. Um, and that comes in this in this next piece here. So, and Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven, and Elijah Elijah saw it, and he cried, "My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen!" And he saw him no more. So, the language of the text that we get here very similar. Um, now, uh, of course, this one is way more dramatic than what we would see when we see Christ's ascension. But those core elements 
are there that would lead us to the same conclusion that someone hearing this account um, prior to Christ's own ascension would would assume that he that it that it is intended for us to understand that he went in his physical body into heaven. Um, that is the that he was taken up by a whirlwind and he was seen no more. There's no um, description here of some type of state change that occurs or some type of change from physical to spiritual. The intention of the text here is for us as we read it to come to the natural conclusion that they intend us to think that Elijah found himself in heaven in his body. Right? Like that's the natural conclusion that we would come to when we look at this text. Now, um, as I read this and I consider it, um, I understand this opens up a lot of other questions regarding the state of his bodily existence after he ascended. Um, one of those is which Jesus' body is a new, incorruptible body that we would not expect to age. But Elijah was not taken up in a resurrection body. He was taken. It would be as though our standing here in a whirlwind took me up. What do you expect me to look like in ten years? Older's the answer, right? So, one of the questions that that comes for me, and we're not going to to attempt to answer this tonight, but it's an it's a question that comes out of this regarding his body is what type of preservation must have occurred for him right like what must that have looked like um so that is category one we've looked at several places here for category one where uh real living humans experience heaven in some profound way now we're going to look at the flip side of that coin looking at um we're going to start in genesis chapter 3 verse 8 if you want to go ahead and go there um, we're going to look here at heavenly beings interacting with our physical reality. Um, again, the reason that I think that it's important for us to consider these two sides is that it helps us, I think, consider what that nature of heaven might be like because we see it in the text, right? Um, so Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 8 here. I'm going to read through the whole thing, and then I'll point your eyes back to a couple of interesting places. So, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So, two places that I want us to look at and consider here. They heard the sound of the Lord walking. What does that imply? What does that imply? That this was a physical, that this is not intended to be some spiritualized consideration here. That when it says they heard him coming, it would be like you go out and you're walking through the leaves in the fall and you are interacting with the leaves and before i see you i can hear you so we are intended to understand god's experience in this moment 
in the garden as a physical, real experience. God has created the world as such that He can interact with it at will. And in this moment, He was walking foot after foot through the garden, not as a ghost that we would imagine passes through things without any interaction, but in such a way that Him simply walking, it could be heard also in such a way that their understanding in this moment was such that they thought they could hide from Him. It says it. Like when they, when they saw Him, or when they heard Him, and they knew that it was the Lord coming, they thought, hide somewhere. How many of you, like Bible-believing Christians, believe that you can hide from God? Why? Knows all, sees all. Nothing is hid from Him. Not even the intentions of your heart. These are things that you know. But consider this moment where their eyes had been opened to sin for the first time. And the One who created them, they hear Him coming because He's rustling the leaves of the trees in the garden as He walks towards them. And they think, I'll go here because He won't see me here. How are they thinking? How are they thinking? They're thinking He's going to see them with His eyes. That He's going to walk up upon them. But if they hide in the trees over here, then His vision will be blocked. How are we intended to understand this interaction here? This is a physical interaction where God steps into His creation in a real and physical way. Now let's move on to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to read 26 through 28. I'm going to do my best. Um, we'll see how long it takes. I'm going to read fast. Um, we've got a lot of text here um, in the next couple of places and I, I don't want to skip any because there's some really interesting stuff here maybe we just see how far we get and then i'll keep an eye on the i'll keep an eye on the clock and we'll just call it and and pause and come back next week um we'll, we'll see it, it'll 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 be good not to skip these because there's some really interesting details to extract from this so luke chapter 1 verse 26 in the sixth month, and I'm, again, I'm going to read through this whole little piece, and then I'll point your eyes back to some interesting things here. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of, Gal to the, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So, Gabriel. A couple of things... Who is Gabriel? You've read this before. Look at this. It's an angel. Gabriel is the name of an angel. Good job. Good job. Is, is Gabriel seen by her here? 
Does she see him? Yes. She talked with him? Yes. Is it okay that we call him him? It says BK God. It does. I want us to think about what that experience might have been like. I want us to consider if you saw Gabriel today, would he look like the same? I'm going to use person for the sake of this conversation. Would it look like the same person? You think? You think if if you think after the resurrection that we'll see Gabriel? You think? Do you think? That I see Gabriel today, it'll look like Gabriel then. What does that What does that mean about the nature of this angel? There's continuity in his identity. There's continuity in his appearance. The same Gabriel that that she would have seen, we can safely conclude that it would be the same Gabriel that I would see. We could. Yes. Yes. So Gabriel has a Gabriel has an appearance. Another thing to consider here, and this, again, um, for the sake of just beating the dead horse, like it's important for us to consider because there are worldviews that the account of the spiritual is there is no identity in that accounting. That there is a loss of identity, right? The Christian worldview is not such, even for those beings who are inherently spiritual beings. Gabriel maintains his identity. Gabriel was Gabriel 2,000 years ago. He's Gabriel today, and he'll be Gabriel 10,000 years from now. His identity is maintained. We understand this because you are... When you see her, my daughter, one day and she's 30, it will still be her, even though she grows up, right? She will maintain her identity, right? There's a continuity in our existence, right? Now, much of our existence, we find changes occur as a result of the fall, right? Like, we grow old and die, one of those Results, Gabriel's appearance likely fixed because he doesn't find himself experiencing the same consequences that we find ourselves experiencing, right? But nonetheless, don't let it be lost on you that it was Gabriel, not just simply an angel, but that angels have identity. And in this case, we find the name of one. Another thing, that he is not in all places at all times. That He is in heaven and sent to. Now again, when we think about this, we every description that we would give comes out to a description that is very physical in nature. Right? Like, how did you get here? Tonight, you started in a place and you traveled to a place. Right? Now, um, perhaps you live several miles from now that if you had... Taking that trek 200 years ago, it would have not been feasible to get here on time on a Wednesday night. 
But now you find yourself with a different mode of transportation so you can get here a lot quicker. Perhaps some time in the future, technology were to advance to a, to a point to where we can travel even quicker from point to point. Nonetheless, we at any given point in time take up a particular space and have to move from space to space. The same is said of Gabriel here, right? Was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, and then we find him here, and what is he doing? She sees him, he speaks. Again, interacting with the world that we take for granted that we interact with, right? We find Gabriel here, interacting with the world, communicating to her, serving his purpose that God had sent him to do. It's not the only account that we find of these types of incidents. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, if you want to go ahead and go there with me. I'm going to read... I'm going to read this whole account. Um, bear with me. Be patient. It's, a, it's going to be a little bit of a read here. Um, just follow along. I'm going to go from verse 8 down through verse 15. And then I'll point to a couple of interesting things here. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were feared with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Verse 15, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So just kind of supporting evidence of some of the stuff that we talked about when we were looking at the account with Gabriel here. Um, it speaks of an angel of the Lord appearing to them here. So what could that... Like, were these shepherds here alive? So if something appears to me and died, is it a dream? There's no such thing as shared dreams. There's no viable accounts of shared visions either. Right? This is an argument that is oftentimes used in support of the like appeared to more than 500. That wasn't a vision, right? When it's speaking about Jesus and the church's understanding of the realness of Jesus' resurrection here. So this is not here shepherds sharing in a dream or sharing in a shared vision. This is shepherds with their own eyes seeing heaven make itself known to them. And the person of this angel here, which in this account we're not given a name. Verse 10, it says of this angel that the angel said to them. So again, these are real men living. They hear and see with the senses that they have. Clear evidence that the heavenly can interact in a way with the physical that we can be made aware of it. Verse 13 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, pay attention here. Again, this is, there are separate and distinct angels, right? There is a distinction between the identity of each here. This is important, especially when we consider and ask ourselves what might the nature of heaven be before the resurrection? Is it possible that we preserve identity there? That's, that's a conclusion that we could draw very easily from a text like this. We could say if the angels who are by nature spiritual maintain identity in heaven, then yes, we would conclude that we would main, maintain identity when we find ourselves in the intermediate space. This is not a question to be asked after the resurrection, when I get my body back and you see me for me, but this is a question that one might ask. And this is a place that we can look in Scripture and come to rational conclusions about the answers and how to answer these things. Right? We could say, if the angels maintain identity being spirits, then so would we. So this is, this is again, a way that we can kind of use this as a stepping stone to think about what our experiences might be as we await the resurrection. Um, again, verse 15 here, and the angels went away from them, where? Into heaven. So these angels come from and back into heaven. Um, how does this take place? This is a question that I like ponder. Like I think about this and I'm like, did it take them long to get there? That's like a question that I thought, like, was it like a, like, was it, like, I, I was sh sharing some of these thoughts with my kids, and um, it's funny because we now live in, like, a world where I can say metaverse to you, and, like, for the most part, if you've seen Marvel, you understand what I'm what I mean by that, or multiverse, excuse me. Like, it's it's become part of kind of normal nomenclature to think in these ways. Uh, but I'm describing these types of things to my daughter, and she's like, "Is it a portal? Like, like this? I'd like, what does it look like? Right? Like, we think about these things. Like, what does it look like? These are natural questions that should come as we consider it. Some of them can point us to actually giving some solid conclusions and others it's like it's okay to marvel at these things and have no solid answer right like we should be okay with that that there are just going to be some things that we can just like consider and think about and dream about while there are other things that we can really and truly know with that being said um, I'm going to call it um, for this one, we will pick up next time, um, kind of following along the same uh, chain of thought. If you want to be looking ahead, go ahead and look at Acts chapter 12, verses 6 through 11. You can look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. I want to read this one because this, this one's just a fun one. Um, in case you think that these experiences are like relegated to the super holy or only people of old, um, in Hebrews, we get this interesting text where it says, Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Right? So, like, we'll cover that next week. I don't. So, that's one to look at. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17 is another one. Um, 
and then once we get through that, we'll we'll draw some conclusions next week um, to this to this question of like, is there anything physical about heaven? Um, like, uh, we'll 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 close it up uh, close it up next week with that. With that being said, I'll uh, I'll close this out uh, here in prayer.